Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. What we have been doing, just for the sake of our visitors, we've been looking at allegorical application of what does it mean to lift one's head. Prophetic application or a symbolic interpretation of when the scripture says to you, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lift, lifted up your everlasting doors, what exactly does the scriptures allude to? And what we did, we first focused on the imagery of gates, then doors, and then what it means to lift up the head. And just in brief summation, I don't want to take too long with this, in brief summation, gates represent the following. You are the gates. The gates are the family of God. Gate represents the church. Right? The, the, the domain of darkness will not, the gates of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia. Right? The authority of hell will not prevail against the church. Jacob in Genesis 28 saw Bethel, the place where the ladder was affixed to the earth and touched the top of the heavens. Angels ascending and descending, presence of God, prophetic word proclaimed. He heard God's voice. He said, this is none other than the gate of heaven. This is Bethel. This is the gate of heaven. So everything about the house of God depicts gates. But the house of God is not a building. The house of God is not an organization. When you say you are the gates, he's referring to the construct of the family of the church as the family of God. Church is many things, but at the heart of a church is family. And so to lift up the gates would be to lift up the family ethos of the church. To lift up your heads or your gates would be to accentuate this fact that I'm not part of an organization. I'm part of a family. Headed by a father who has other sons of which I'm just one of many. right? And so to lift up the head would mean to apprise more greatly the culture of the house as the family of God. Everyone say family. And I want to encourage us. Um, I hope to do a series, uh, it won't be done anytime this year, probably in next year, on, on this issue of the church as the family of God. Right? And I really want to encourage you, if you're part of this household of faith, two things must predominate in your thinking. Know to whom you are joined. Right? Your primary connection should be to a spiritual father. That's biblical. I want to say it again. Know to whom you are joined. You don't come because of a nice building. You don't come because of nice music. You don't even come because of these chairs. I know some of you love these chairs. Right? Good chairs. Right? We chose them deliberately so we can preach long. So you're comfortable. Right? You don't come for any other reason. Question. Why did the men come to Hebron? Who was there? It says, and the men gathered to David at Hebron. Hebron was not the location for um, the draw card. The allurement was a man to whom they connected with. He chose Hebron as the environment that he will dwell in. And I want to, this is very important to me in this season. 
You see, lifting up the head means lift up the culture of everything you stand for as a corporate family. Lift up your commitment. Lift up your connectedness to a spiritual father who carries divine mandate and divine purpose. Amen? So enforce, I want to say this seriously, strengthen the connection. Because for some, the connection is loose. It's casual. For some, the connection is non-existent. And for some, it's even fleeting. Right? Everything that defines the house alludes to connectedness to spiritual fathering that is able to tweak and shape you in the nature of Christ. But also, in a family, there are other sons. Everyone say other sons. And Jesus said this, or rather, yeah, Jesus said, or rather John said it in his gospel, that if you love the Father, you will also love the children that are born of the Father. So you can never ever, I can never ever love Thamo without loving Thamo's other sons. We are family. You know what? You don't really have a choice in family. Huh? How many of you, if you had your way, would have not chosen your biological siblings as your brother or your sister? Unfortunately, you did not, you are not given that, that privilege to choose your family. Right? Do you choose this group of people here? Did you? No. By divine orchestration, God set membership in the house. Not so? The, the pivot point is connectedness to a grace carrier who has a mandate to shape each son in the nature of Christ. Amen? So, for example, Joseph. Does Joseph disconnect from... What's Joseph's father? Jacob. Does Joseph disconnect from Jacob because his brothers hate him? Let me say this bluntly. Your brothers are your biggest test. But your brother is born for adversity. In this culture. And you know the issue with Joseph is once he comes into prominence, right? He passed the brotherly test, forgave them, and then he brings Jacob, connects with patriarchal destiny, and the will for the law of the Lord for his life is unveiled. Amen? He had two sons. Who were they? Ephraim and Manasseh. Why was Ephraim named, sorry, why was Manasseh named Manasseh? Why? God says, I will cause you to forget two things. He has it now. Listen carefully. Question, did Joseph suffer? What was the source of most of Joseph's sufferings? Brothers, say brothers. Right? He has a classic case. Everything in scripture was written for our learning. Question, who was the source of Joseph's greatest discontentment? Brothers, right? Either God blesses him, God blesses him, God blesses him, etc. He comes into huge prosperity and prominence. First son, he names the boy Manasseh. Manasseh means two things. God says, I will cause you to forget all the pain and the trouble that you have experienced. Secondly, I will cause you to forget your father's house. But you can't forget the father's house. Because with the father's house in Isaac is vested patriarchal destiny and promise. The second boy is born. What is his name? Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful. In other words, God is saying, in a sense, I'll bless you so much. The pain 
that led you here will be forgotten. I'm going to bless you so profusely. But you know what? Ultimately, when he does come into great significant position, second in charge of Egypt next to Pharaoh, he's like second, he's like, he's like the deputy head of the nation. When this guy rides in a chariot throughout Egypt, the Bible says every Egyptian would bow at the sight of Joseph. Talk about a man with power, not so? Would like to be like that. But until, listen carefully, you see you can have great sway, great might, great power, great influence. You have the power to make serious decisions affecting the most global power, uh, the most military, uh, 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 strongest power in that day and age. But you know what after the last test was? God brings the same people back in view. And he sees them, brothers. I know when I, <laughs> I don't like to dramatize this, what was going through his mind? He must say, oh, you again. You guys again, come back into my world. Question, here's the lesson. Until you pass the brother test, nothing of the will of the Lord for your life is going to ever find significance in terms of it being used by God to build into global purpose. You might sit back and say, let me ask you this. Was Joseph blessed? Was Joseph favored? Was Joseph uh, prosperous? What does all the prosperity mean if he can't bring Jacob here from from Canaan? What is his first executive decision? Does my father live? Bring my father down here. Why? And what does he say? Don't even take three weeks. He says, go fetch him and do not delay. The Hebrew word is aha, delay. In other words, don't defer, don't drag your feet about this issue. I need Jacob here, right? And after the reconciliation with the brothers, Jacob comes. And you know what? Joseph connects his influence, his power in a nation to the prophetic anointing in his father. Because when Jacob comes down, what does Jacob do? He prophesies in Genesis 48 over Joseph, over Ephraim, over Manasseh. In Genesis 49, long chapter, one of the longest in Genesis, Jacob painstakingly prophesies over each of the the sons, including again Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Joseph gets double portion prophecy, one in Genesis 48, and again with the whole group in Genesis 49. And who took Reuben's place as firstborn? Joseph. Who took Manasseh's place as firstborn? Ephraim. Why? You see, someone whose name means, I must forget my father's house, cannot occupy a firstborn position. To come into prosperity and to forget fatherly prophetic registry, it means all your blessing means very little. Connected to patriarchal influence. Amen. So, everyone say family. family. Yeah, I mean, Jacob is, Joseph is far removed from family. He's blessed, but until he reconnects with family, with brothers and father, only then words come out from Jacob. And what Jacob says, come you sons of Jacob. Let me tell you what will befall you in the last days. 
Joseph or Jacob did not only prophesy to the boys, and to, which will eventually become a tribe. He prophesied tribally, prophetically, even for us who are living in the last days. All the prophecies in Genesis 49 have got prophetic application for the church today. But if you were Joseph, you know some modern day Christians, if they were, if they were Joseph, they would have ordered the death of all the brothers. They would not have even called for Jacob saying, I'll leave the guy in Palestine, that was my past. I've got a boy here called Manasseh, which reminds me, God said to me, I'll cause you to forget the past and I will cause you to forget your father's house. That's why the Ephraimic disposition of fruitfulness could only come to the fore once Joseph in his heart dealt with the Manasseh issue in his life. Tell your neighbor, do not forget your father's house. Otherwise, your Ephraimic anointing means very little. If you cannot connect the blessing, even financially, that God's going to give you to a fatherly, patriarchal anointing that can speak into, listen carefully, how God's going to use you in that position. Joseph needs Jacob's voice. And who fathers Pharaoh? The Bible says Joseph was a father to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the leader of the land. Joseph's father in Pharaoh, is Joseph a powerful man? Yes. He's basically offering spiritual fatherly oversight to Pharaoh, but he needs a Jacob that can direct the course of those events and ensure that the nation is not destroyed. The Messiah's line was in Judah. Think about it really. Judah was there as a man at that stage, not a tribe. The Messiah would eventually come through a man, Joseph, the, the father of Jesus, who will be born from this man years later. Think about it. Benjamin was in Paul. Or rather, Paul was in Benjamin. Benjamin. Remember Benjamin, one of the boys? What was Paul? Which, which tribe was Paul from? Paul was a Benjamite. There was so much locked up in those men standing there. From all the tribes. And Joseph realized, I can't make a blunder here. Much is at stake if I fail the brother test. So tell your neighbor, lift up your head with the brother test. Lift up your head with the brother test. I would encourage you. You know, if ever, I know many of you in this house have been subjected to experiences, like Terence said. You know, the word experience is, uh, in Hebrews 5, where it says, Son though he was, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. The King James Version I think the New American says suffered. Every other version of the Bible I know says experienced. If you double click on the word in the Greek, it does not mean suffer. It means experienced. Right? Either good or bad. In other words, son though he was, he learned obedience by everything he encountered. Everything he experienced, the good and the bad, the suffering and the joyful times were designed to bring the son to obedience. Have you ever been pressured to the point where your hypertension, the, the pressure goes up and you feel like your head's going to explode? Ever been there? Right? I'm not a stressful person. For those of you who know me, I, I would like to think that I am peaceful, that I'm calm. Right? But I had recently, um, my sleep disturbed and literally, I felt hypertension. I felt like stress. 
Now, why was in the garden, why was it that Jesus' blood, his sweat almost turned like droplets of blood? You know, the small capillaries burst. Can you imagine the stress that the Son of God was under in the garden? He was literally experienced even physical, physiological, biological stress and strain. His was so great. His blood vessels, small blood vessels burst. But you know what? Even through that experience, he said, Lord, take this cup from me. Take this burden. Take this suffering. But not my will, but thine will be done. All suffering, all experience is designed to test your commitment to obedience. If you can commit to obey far more quicker, your process of suffering will be alleviated sooner. Suffering, I want to say it again, is designed to teach you obedience. You see, he learned obedience. Obedience is a learned response. Someone needs to teach you and God will subject you. And I'm, I'm praying, I prayed this week, this morning I was up early. Uh, my sleep patterns are all gone all right. Up past four, I'm up like clockwork. So I knelt on a cushion in my lounge, and I normally do, and I prayed to the, my father. Just for about 40 minutes, I just talked to him, and I pray, and I mention things before the Lord. And I said, what else is there that you want to teach me about where I should obey you more? Let me learn my lessons well. Let me learn my lessons quickly. So I, as your son, can come to a place of more quicker, more rapid obedience. I want to encourage you, obey quickly. Obey quickly. Lift up your head and pass your brother tests. Amen. If you've, if you've not had, uh, the book of Proverbs says, all brothers are born for adversity. Right? Your brother's born to shape you. As iron sharpens, iron, so does a man sharpen the face of his friend or his, his brother. Do you know, no one can sharpen you like your brother can. No one can irk you like your brother can. No one can disappoint you like your brother can. Even what David said in Psalm 55, if it was an enemy that was busy reproaching me, I could have borne it. But it was you, my brother, my acquaintance. We walked in counsel in the house of the Lord together. So hence the difficulty of David's experience. He was talking in reference to King Saul. So King Saul, he served him so well, yet he was, he was. And let me just say this. The brother test is designed to form the nature of the son in you in a formidable way. If you have never ever had to pass the forgiveness test, pass it quickly and pass it soon, brethren. I, I, I would say don't delay destiny by being unforgiving. Forgive, I would say forgive everybody left, right and center from now on. Anyone who hurts you, anyone who speaks ill against you, Anyone you, you, you perceive is designing things for your defeat, simply function in the spirit of forgiveness. Don't harbor one moment of bitterness in your heart. Walk as a free man. Walk clearly, walk cleanly before the Lord. Let nothing hinder your destiny. Until Joseph passed the forgiveness test. You see, God blessed him up to a point. And if he was going to go beyond that, Yet to pass this test. There's that test. And let me just say this to you. You can say,
But yeah, God is blessing me. I have evidence of fruit. I have evidence of this, that, and the other in my life. I'm saying good and well, Joseph had that too. But there was a point beyond which he would not have gone until he passed the brother test. Until he passed the forgiveness test. And so I want to urge you, go beyond the present level. Say family. family. Okay, we're on this point. This was not, this is prophetic. This is supposed to be a summation. Okay. I want to encourage you. Love everyone in the house equally. This has been my impassioned plea for a while now. Don't think sectorially, brethren, hear my heart. Don't think uh, in terms of cliques and clans. Deliberately break out of your known social circle. Hear my heart. I beg you to do this. If I would go on my knees in front in the presence of this congregation, I would urge you, deliberately break out of the people you would normally associate with. You know why the cry and the burden of my heart for this house? I love all of you equally, but it pains me to see some not associate with others based upon preconceived notions of whatever that person has surmised. A father's heart is to see everyone love everyone. And I would urge you, if I could do this, I would do and beg you, please, brethren, deliberately, if you are my son in the Lord, and if you claim sonship, you know what the people that came to David said at Hebron? We are yours, David. We are yours. They said it twice. We are yours. We are yours. Resolve in your heart right now, have you come to this place out of loyalty to God vested in a man, that's, my, that's myself, your spiritual father, because you're locking in with purpose. So will you do everything I say? We are yours. You know what they said to David? To say that to a man, I am yours. Tell me anything, I'll do it. These are, these are the men of Judah initially that came to David. You know what they said to him further? We are yours. We are yours, O son of, of David, son of Jesse. We are yours. Then they say this to him, peace, peace to you. Twice, not one peace. Peace to you. Secondly, we are here, David, not just to ensure your peace. Secondly, they say, peace to everybody else that helps you. Right? The way in which you ensure your spiritual father comes into peace is by also ensuring that everybody else that claims sonship to him is at peace. Peace to you and peace to everybody else that helps you. You see, this is, tell your neighbor, this is still prophetic. It's a prophetic word. They're like a prophet calling you out of a meeting and say, thus saith the Lord. I'm telling this house, the Lord is saying to every single one of you, deliberately break out of the norm of your, your, your sectorial meetings. It's almost, I said to you, predictable the way some of us socialize. If we are to be family, you see, until we get this right, we are still organizational, but we're not family. Right? We are still organizational, but we are not family. And yet we claim to be this apostolic, progressive, ahead more than anybody else, church, but unless we get basics right, there's a level of fruitfulness like Joseph did, we will not go beyond until we pass the family test. Remember jo- Abraham, 318, armed men, he defeated Chidaloma, Chida- remember? 
Right? But you see, the spirit of family, Abraham was a father. It says, sons born in his house. Family can depose great, uh, uh, significant strongholds. The power of the church is its family composition. Say, if, please hear this with revelation. The power of the church, the military might of the church, is rooted in its family composition. The moment, and it seems like, you know, if you were, if you were mustering up an army, I would train men hard and make them rugged. God says, no, just build family and that will be your offense. Your military might is the family ethos. No family ethos, no strength. Right? So, brethren, can I ask you, my impassion, please. You see, I don't want this to be another glorified study. I want this to be practical. If I say to you, lift up your heads, lift up the spirit of family, it means not just doing this. this you can do this in a mirror every morning. Randolph said, I need to lift up my head. I'm lifting up my head, prophetic action. No, there, there are other important expressions of it whereby you say, he said to me, I must build the spirit of family in the house. So what will I do as his son? Like David's men came to him. I come to him and I say, peace to you, Padre. Some of you call me Padre. <laughs> peace to you, Father. Peace to you, Randolph. I will in, I will, I'm here to guarantee your peace. Now, until you come to that place, that's why this exhortation that you will is very important. Sonship must evolve. I'm here to ensure your peace. But how do I do that? I know I'm your son. But I know person X is also your son. And I know you want us all to come to sonship and to maturity in Christ. And even if, even if, in the event of, there are problems and tensions, because I am here to ensure your peace, I will do everything in my power to ensure peace between me and my fellow brother, who is your other son. Some of you here are going to save the whole community. Who would like to save everybody here? You know, that's what Joseph, Joseph saved the whole family. What did Joseph say to his brothers? You sold me, but God, what? Sent me. The selling of a brother is the sending of God. But if you focus on the fact that your brother sold you, you will never ever come into the sending of God. Two processes happening at the same time. But if you focus on the negative, you will never ever come into, why did God allow this? Some of you have suffered because of the adversity of your brother. But you're going to come into a position where, like, like Joseph, you know what, let me finish the verse. He said, you sold me, but God sent me, send me colon in your Bibles. It says, this is Genesis 50, 20. It says, to save many people. Alive. Jo jo Joseph literally preserved the whole nation. He saved everybody. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't even be in Egypt. Did you know that? He was the economic brains behind how to, how to, how to survive the impending famine. Right? He's, Joseph did not only save Israel. He literally saved the whole of the then known world. But everything, hear me, everything hinges on an attitude towards those brothers 
that did him the greatest ill. Every aspect about his destiny either failed or triumphed based upon Reuben comes into the house. How is he going to handle Reuben after what he did? Judah walks in. Simeon, Issachar, Dan. All these men come in. Levi walks in. I must confront Levi again. The same crew that sold me, lied about me, misrepresented me to my father that I'm dead, yet was alive. Reduced my value. Sold me for 20 pieces of silver. At least Jesus was sold for 30. Joseph was sold for 20. Have you ever been to the place, listen carefully, where you feel so disesteemed? Your value is so, uh, so low. Where people make you feel, I think nothing of you. Zilch. Joseph experienced all of that. Now years later, the same bruise come into his world. And what is his attitude? You know what the Bible says, when Joseph saw them, what did he do? He wept bitterly. You see, the Christ in him emerged. Not the vengeful, not, I'm going to get you. You must suffer for your wrong. I have the power to do it. I can order your imprisonment now. In fact, I can order your death now. I have so much power in Egypt. But he didn't do that. You see, lift up your heads, oh, you gates. Lift up your heads, you family. Lift up your heads, sons. Lift up your heads, family, so that the king can come in. King is not coming in until the gate of the family is lifted up. Amen? Lift it up. I want to make another impassioned plea. Deliberately take an interest in the welfare of others in the house. Beyond your norm. Beyond what you are, what, what you are accustomed to, be, uh, to interact with. Reach out. Extend the hand. Find out what's going on in Darrell's life. Right? Find out what's going on in Elvis. Ryan. Mark, or I can mention all of you. Deliberately go beyond. You know, you know I, still, I still call, I have moments uh, where I call, uh, I usually do this once a month. I, I'm not a telephone person. Most of you know that by now. Right? But I will call at least once a month, people generally, and I literally, even up to date, take the time to call everybody who was once part of our fellowship. At least once a month. How is it? How is it going? How are you doing? Is it well with you? Etc. Why do I do these things? Until you pass the relational test. The will of the Lord for your life will be placed on pause. Hmm? I counseled a pastor on Wednesday. Going through a traumatic time in his local church. And I said to him. Do this. Phone the, all the people that left your house. And don't do it out of legal obligation. Do it sincerely. Out of a sincere desire. And I do it out of genuine concern for, how's it going with him? Is it well? Do you need anything? Find, just to establish and to maintain relationships. Relationships are key. Very, very important. So tell your neighbor, lift up your head. Okay, now I have to, gee, I have to really abbreviate the rest. Right? Because we've done all of these in quite some detail. But these impressions are new. And I don't want to miss the moment. Lifting up your head, the gates also represent a portal to another realm. We know that. You open the gate, you come into another realm. I won't, I won't go on there because of time. Gates also represent a defensive mechanism barring intrusion of alien threatening elements. 
and I encouraged you in this session to watch the gates. And remember to repel the warfare at the gate. God will be a strength to you. Do this corporately in the house, but also do this privately in your own world. Watch your gates, what you see, what, 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 what you hear, the kind of talk you associate with, the kind of conversations you permit um, in, your, in your social sphere. Watch these things, right? Watch every gate. Uh, gates also represent where your works will praise you and justify you at the gate. We spoke on Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman. And I said to you in this season, some of your works are now going to start to make, um, cause favor to come upon you. You've been faithful. God will amplify your works at the gates. Right? Then we also said your works, um, gates speak of wisdom that must be heard more loudly. It says wisdom cries where? At the gates. Lifting up the gates, lifting up your heads, oh, you gates, means lift up your levels of wisdom. Also, wisdom, uh, uh, gates speak of increased business and commerce. I want to encourage you, expect an increase of business and commerce in your experience and in your lives. Let's go on, Liam. It also represents strategic places of influence, accurate positioning and functioning. Of spouses in marriage. I spoke at length about this. I, I don't have time to go to each one. Please get the tape. This is like the eighth session on all these points. We spoke about the last and final act of redemption. Where was Ruth redeemed? By Boaz? At the gate. It was the last act in a sequence of events. So, and I felt prophetically, listen carefully, and rehearse this. For, for many of you in this house, you are right at the edge You've come through a sequence of dealings. And there's a last act that God's going to install for you to redeem you totally in some respect. We also said uh, it represents authority. The gates of hell do not prevail against the church, the authority. So an increased levels of authority. It relates to the person and the character of, of Christ Jesus. We said doors and gates are used interchangeably and he is the door. The Bible says in John 10, I am also the gate, Jesus says. I am the door, I'm the gate to the sheep. Lift up your heads, or you gates, means lift up the Christ-like character and representation in your, in your life. Then we also said, uh, it, it alludes to the inviting, luring, and persuading people into the house. Right? Um, and we spoke two verses here, Jerusalem is like a city without gates. So if you, if you have no gates, it means you're so strong, you don't have to protect the environment. So city without gates means the culture is so strong internally, it's not threatened by anything outside. Right? So if you strengthen the culture, and what does an open gate mean? Anybody can come. You even can come with the wrong agenda. But once you come in, the culture will change you. The culture will transform you. Amen? So raise up, lift up your heads, O oh, your gates, lift up the culture, make it so strong that anyone comes with the wrong agenda will be transformed immediately. Sinners get saved. The lukewarm get activated to, to, to be a fire for the Lord. Amen. Those that don't know sonship, when they come into the culture of sonship, will quickly learn sonship by what they see in others. Okay? You become the model, you become the activator for the development of of others. Then we said, go on, your heads, what's your head? Your thinking and your mindset. We said it's your prophetic sight, your eyes, 
your discernment, your nose. Because all these things are in the head. Lift up your head, lift up your sight, lift up your mentality, lift up your discernment, your mouth, lift up how you, your, your levels of speaking and what kind of conversations you permit uh, and, and words to flow from out of this mouth. Utterance and speaking. Then it also means the will and the ability to speak against in accuracy. John's head was decapitated, remember? Why? He spoke against the false alliance between Herodias and Herod. Right? So lift up your head means don't not speak against something you know to be wrong and you don't permit it in your world. Filled with hope and confidence, we read the verse um, this morning from Hosea 2, the valley of Achor becomes a door of hope, right? God will deliver. Psalm 3, Thou, O Lord, I shield for me, you're my glory and you're the lift up of my head. Next. A sign declaring once innocence. And I said to you prophetically, uh, God says he's going to declare your innocence in this season. You will not have to prove that you are right. You just leave it to God and he will de- sovereignly justify Right? Lifting up the head means vindication from a divine source. Right? Then we also said a form of self-assertion and the non-acceptance of oppression. Right? Where you don't accept what is not in the will of God to come into your world. You assert yourself, lift up your head and you deliberately confront that thing. We also said it means release from imprisonment, encasement, and limitation. We looked at King Jehoiakim, who in the 37th year of Babylonian exile was released from prison as king of Judah. He was given new clothes, prison clothes were changed, and he was set above all the other kings in Babylon. How is that for favor? Set above all the other kings in Babylon. He ate at the king's table every day. He was given an allowance of finance every day, all the days of his life. Release. So we spoke about restoration and all the principles attendant. Also, lifting up the head is an exertion of global rule. I didn't have time to really teach this one. If you want to take the reference down in Psalm 110, where the Lord will rule over the nations of the earth. And the Bible says he will lift up his head. I want to encourage you with this. Embrace God's will for the nations. Really embrace it. Right? We're going to Nakala in a few weeks again. You know, when we go, it's not, it's, we don't go as tourists. People think traveling is glamorous. It's not at all. It's warfare on every front. The program is intensive. Now we're going to Nakala. It's as hot as hell there now, especially this season and into summer. We went in winter. It was no winter. It was like summer in winter. Summer in Nakala is like hell. Literally, it's hot. You sweat. Right? Even now when I pack, I know how to pack. Don't take one long sleeve shirt in the color. Don't take one jacket. Why? As you stand, before you even open, you just start sweating. Your clothes get wet and you're preaching from half past eight in the morning until five in the afternoon. And you come back drenched. Not only virtue has left you, some sweat has left you too. Right? And it's hard, Right? It's, it's difficult. There's an interpreter. We're trying to persuade men about kingdom ways. And we're working. And we, what we are doing, we're lifting up our heads. We, we're receiving a mandate for God's 
global rule over the nations. I mean, I want to encourage you to support that endeavor. Then, we spoke on Friday, this was powerful, on Friday evening, about the nearness of final redemption. Fulfillment of a prophetic word. When all these things take place, Luke 21 says, Lift up your head, because your redemption is drawing near. There's like a final act of redemption that God wants to bring to you. Tell your neighbor you are right there. I want to open your eyes. You know, I feel like as Elisha, praying to Elijah, when the servant says, all of these Assyrians are around us, what are we going to do? What did he say? Lord, open his eyes that he might see. There are more for us than those are against us. Similarly, I can see in the spirit right now that some of you are right there. You are so close. The redemption is so near, but you can't grasp it, can't see it. I pray the spirit will open your eyes as to how proximate, how imminent the next great breakthrough that you are trusting God is for. Lift up your head. Don't let the head hang down. Lift up your head. Fight depression. Fight discouragement. Fight anxiety. Say, I refuse this because my condition is telling me one thing. My pastor, as God's mouthpiece, is telling me something else. I choose not to let my circumstance dictate my mood. I will let God's word dictate my behavior. I lift up my head. For my redemption is drawing nigh. My redemption draweth nigh. Don't be defined by your environment. Be defined by God's word. Some of you are going to leave this meeting going home to some hectic situations. I know. You're going to go home to some difficult times. But don't let the head hang down. Lift up the head. God says, I need you to comply with what I'm about to do. Lift up your head for your redemption is right at hand. It's almost proximate. And then lastly, we spoke about representative headship in marriage. Husbands being responsible leaders as the heads of your home. Take spiritual responsibility for the spiritual culture of your family. For the spiritual state of your wife and your kids. You are responsible. Take responsibility for that. Assert yourself. Lift up your head. And chart the way forward for your home. Amen? Lift up your head, you husbands. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. You lift up your heads as well. And you know, in some homes, wives are stronger than husbands. That's fine. But so long as the husband is involved. I don't have no problem if a husband says, Honey, to his wife. I hope you call her honey or something. Honey, you lead it. But I commission it. So I'm concerned. You have a strength in this area. Lead the devotions for the next week. But we're going to take charge of our family state. Amen. Lift up your heads because as Christ is the head of the church, husbands are the head of the wives. So lift up your heads. Oh, you gates. Oh, you husband gates. Lift up your heads. And the king of glory will, will come in. Amen. Now, okay, that should have been taken five minutes. Now I'm starting to preach. Okay. Can I just say ten minutes? What I really want to say. Now I really want to say what I'm about to say. Amen. Jewel says, no problem, we can go the whole day because next time she's going to hear me is January next year. Or September, where are you? I'll be there. Yeah, but I mean in this context. Amen. Let's go on quickly. 
quickly, who comes in? Ask your neighbor who comes in. If, let, me, let me ask, let me just say this to you. Brethren, and I, I want to say this seriously. If you listened to everything I say, and you blindly obey it, you just say to yourself, I'm not sure what Randolph is saying. I can't even concur with some of the things he's saying, but I believe him to be God's mouthpiece, and I will, I will, I will obey. I am saying, yes, you're going to experience an entrance of a king into your world like never before. Because once the gates, open it please, once the gates are lifted up, the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord. It says, strong, the Lord, mighty. Two verses later, the Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts is his name. The psalmist spends two whole verses describing who this Lord is. It doesn't say the Lord peaceful, meek, mild is coming in. He's saying this king that is about to come in is a warrior. Comes in almost, if you read the Hebrew, like a tyrant, like a warrior intent on doing powerful warfare on your behalf. Look look, Look at the Hebrew. Everyone says strong. The Hebrew word is Izuz. It means forcible. You know, God is a forcible God. In a good sense. When he wants his purposes done, he will topple any enemy to get his will done in your life. Right? God wants to come forcibly into your life. I just feel this robust, um, almost aggressive dynamic within God coming to the fore to act in military might on your behalf. Who would need some warfare done on your behalf? Right? You know, in the... Uh, who likes mafia movies? Movies, The Italian mafia, I'm talking about. Not the... Not this mafia is all over the world, but the Italian ones are the, the real thing. Right? Right? Don't mess with me. What do they say? I forget some of these cliches. Right? You kill my mama, I kill you. Right? It's like, no nonsense... If anyone is troubling the Godfather, anyone, a simple order, it's like they say it so casually, well, take care of that, right? just take care of it. Next minute, the guy is dead. He's taken care of, right? Any obstacle that's going to prevent the growth of the organization or the intent or purpose is forcibly dealt with. This is the impression I get. God wants to deal forcibly with any opposition that you're currently encountering, Right? Again, this is a prophetic word. God wants to rise up as a man of war. Might. Everyone say might. Strong, powerful. Then mighty is gibor. I love this Hebrew word, gibor. It means this powerful, warrior, tyrant, champion. Chief, who's coming in? Come on, brethren, work with me. Who's coming in? A warrior, a champion, a tyrant. One who is forcible. A man of war wants to come in, in a new way. And it says, is the Lord mighty way? In battle. He wants to come in this, this, this particular disposition to do active warfare on your behalf. God will fight for me. Hey? David said he trains my hands for war. And I want to encourage you. If you've never known this dynamic in God, 
Open your mind to it. Everyone look here. Come on, work with me. Some of you are going off. I can see it. You know God is this loving heavenly father. He is that. You know God is a, a God of peace. He is that. He's extremely loving. He's extremely meek and mild and docile. But there's a dynamic in him that is highly aggressive. When he senses, I have a purpose and a will attendant with my son. And there are satanic forces deliberately impeding that process. Now look at my son, God says. He's lifting up his head at every turn. He's obeying all the principles that I've, that I've taught. He's lifting up the head. God says, he's activating a dynamic in me that I have to respond to. I have to come in, in this tyrant, aggressive, warfaring disposition, and I will do warfare on my son's behalf. I will obliterate any obstacle in his path to ensure that my purposes prevail for his sake. When you pray tonight, brethren, I prayed this morning to the Lord, mighty in battle. I prayed this, Father, you are mighty in battle. Father, you are a tyrant in a good sense. I like that tyrant sense in you in a, in a positive way. Eh? You are intent on destroying every obstacle in my path. Come in. Everyone say, come in. I like the words, come in. The king of glory will come in. Come in, Lord. And obliterate all of my, of my enemies. So I want you to, listen carefully, every time God comes in. Let me put it another way. Every time God comes to you in a particular way, he wants you to become like him in whatever representation he comes to you as. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation. Not so? God comes to each church in a different way. Because of different purposes attendant with each church. What does 2 Corinthians 3.18 says? We all beholding him, we are what? We are transformed into that same image. Whatever image he comes to you as, he wants you to be transformed into. So guess what? If God is coming to you like this, what is his intent? He's saying, son, I'm coming in like this. So you adopt the disposition with which I come. So now is not the season. Maintain your humility. Please listen to me carefully. Maintain your meekness. Maintain your humility. In fact, your humility is your strength. But in your prayer, I sense in this next few uh, weeks, engage in strong governmental warfare. Let the, let, let the, let the uh, aggression of the Lord arise within you. Say enough is enough. I will, I'll, I'm concerned for my family's destinies. My boys. You know, when I prayed for my four kids this morning, I cannot help. I feel almost guilty when I pray for them because I can't pray for them without praying for every other youth in this church. So now, because it takes long, I can't remember people's names, I remember, and I mention them. Now I say, Lord, this morning I said, I bring Matthew before you. Liam, Luke, and Ray. And I pray. But before I pray, I say, I bring them before you as my kids. But I pray also, whatever I'm praying for them, I pray the same for every single youth in our church. Every single family. Then I start engaged in warfare. Right? I was busy kneeling when I said that. And I got up. Why? I felt this like aggression. I'm roaming around my coffee table. And I'm praying over the choices of their, their partners and over their, their, their will and, and, uh, of the Lord for their lives, their choice of occasions and how the, they will end up in a specific workplace and execute life. What am I doing? 
I'm not leaving that to chance. No way. I'm not going to sit back and say, whatever must be, must be. No way. I take responsibility as the head of my home. I say, no, I will assert myself as the head over my family. I determine by God's will how things will turn out for them. You know why Job's sons were blessed? The Bible says every day he offered sacrifice for them. Read it in the book of Job. Every single day he asserted as the head. This was Job lifting up his head and saying, I will not let things run the matter of course and turn out whichever way they want to. Assert yourself in the spirit. Lift up your head and say, I'll take responsibility. I don't want to be settled 10 years from now with issues in my, in my son's life where I could have played a more proactive role in helping them make critical decisions. Amen? I can see all the people, all the parents praying tonight. Lord, my daughter's destinies. <laughs> I want to encourage you. I don't do it all the time. There are times, I'll do it like twice or three times a month. Pray for them. They always, I think all parents carry their kids in their heart all the time. There are times when you just rise up and you get this, Lord, come in and, 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 and assert the will of the Lord for your kid's life. Amen? One last thought, okay? Go over. Next, next slide, sorry. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, two more. You're right. Everyone say, Lord of hosts. Just quickly, I won't be long, yeah? The last descriptor of the Lord who comes in, he says, the King of glory, the Lord of hosts, is his name. And the word host is Saba in the Greek, in the Hebrew. And it literally means, listen carefully, a mass of persons and things, especially regularly organized for war. Everyone say hosts. Wherever you read of God in the Old Testament in a military position, it's not the Lord Shalom. It's the Lord of hosts. Saba means, yes, the Lord, but behind him are hosts. A mess. Everyone say mess. A mess of persons and things organized for warfare. He's not coming by himself. He's coming in with a whole lot of angelic God. It does not only refer to the angelic hosts. Listen carefully. Thamel explained this to us. The hosts, look at Genesis 2 verse 1. It says, the heavens and the earth were completed and what? And all of there? Who has hosts? Heaven has hosts. Earth has hosts. The earth and the heavens and all of their hosts were completed. So this is not simply angelic resource. This is even earthly resource. That God who created all things will position themselves for you. Hmm? I was praying about the building this morning. And the Lord gave me an assurance. The structure is prepared because the context is prepared. Things in the earth are prepared for you, God says. I am the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of things and people prepared to do battle on your behalf. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't have to say one word, but people fought for you? God will cause angelic hosts and people, people and things. You know, the hosts speak of the vast array of everything in heaven and earth designed to fulfill the purpose of God in the Son of God. Right? And I'm here to say to you, he wants to come in. 
He's not just coming in by himself. He's coming in with hosts. Hey? Not ghosts, hosts. He's coming in with hosts. He's coming in with resource. Who's expecting an increase of angelic activity in your life? Right? Why don't you expect an increase of angels? We saw these two angels now in the dance. Right? I don't know whether the angels dance to Israel's music upstairs. But these two are dancing here. I'm expecting greater angelic involvement. Angels are designed to minister to the Son. Amen? I want to leave that with you. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And also the idea of servanthood. Everything was created with order and ranking to serve a specific purpose. Now I'm saying to myself, Lord, let everything serve your purpose in me. Let let me be the center, the gravitational pull, the force field of attraction. Let everything around me, both in heaven and earth, position themselves toward me as a servant. They are my servants. They serve the purposes of God in me. Walk like a king. If the king comes to you, what does he expect you to be? King. He comes to you as king, expecting you to imbibe everything that he is. As he is, so are we in this this world. So I want to encourage you, walk kingly. Walk like you own everything. Say to yourself, Everything I see in the natural sphere is the hosts. The hosts of heaven and the hosts of the earth. Persons and things are arranged for my benefit. They're going to serve me. They're going to bow down and come to the party and serve the purposes of God in my world. That is who is coming in. That is the Lord of hosts. God is saying, I'm coming into my people so I can give them a visible representation of the kind of mentality that they must adopt. Amen? So everything is designed to to serve you. Now let me encourage you. Now is not the time to be weak. Do you know the song, Let the Weak Say I Am Strong? Quit the next verse. I think it's on there somewhere. Yeah, yes. This is our last slide. Joel 3, 9 and 10. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. That's New American Standard. King James says, let the weak say, I am gibor. Everyone say gibor. Right? The same word is used here that describes the Lord. Let the weak say, I am strong. Who says, I am strong, by the way? Now, you can't come to the weak and say, but he's going to say, but look at me, I'm weak. And God said, no, say something. Let something come out of your mouth. Say, tell your neighbor, say something. Let your voice be heard, even if it's in prayer. Say, God, my, circum- my finances are weak. My relationships are weak. I refuse to let that dictate my disposition. You said in your word, let the weak say, I am gibor like you are mighty. I am strong. And you know, in, in other versions, you'll see this. The ESV says, let the weak say, I am a warrior. Tell your neighbor, stop worrying, you warrior. You're a warrior. You're not a weakling. 
God's word version says, weaklings should say that they are warriors. Two W's, weak but warrior. No more weakness. Tell your neighbor, you are a warrior. You are a warrior. The uh, Bible in basic English says, let the feeble say, I am strong. The RV says, let the weak say, I am a strong soldier. Young's literal translation says, let the weak say, I am mighty. The message Bible, let the weak one throw out his chest and say, I am tough, I'm a fighter. Amen. I'm not a weakling. I am tough. I might be going through stuff, but I'm tough. Experiences teach me obedience, but I am tough. I will lift up my head despite my circumstance, because he who wants to come in is mighty, strong in battle. He is the Lord of hosts, and he expects me to adopt the disposition with which he comes in. So I refuse my weakness. Tell your neighbor, refuse your weakness. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I'm telling you, walk with humility, but walk with confidence. Wherever you go, walk with confidence. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. There's a difference between being confident and being proud. It's like a raw, innate knowing that no matter what I confront in life, I'm more than an overcomer. I will transcend everything in Christ. God expects me to, to live my my head. Amen? Wherever you might be. Judy is going to where India soon. His work-related uh, um, program. Even there. Well, everybody's here like this. <laughs> so you say, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, you say, no, 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 brethren. Lift up the head. <laughs> God didn't say shake the head. He said lift up the head. <laughs> I'm just joking. Amen? I've never been to India. It would be nice to go to India. I know Salvin has been many times. Lift up your hands. Come on, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. Lift up your heads. Be strong. Be mighty. Be a warrior. Be resolute. Lift up your heads. Obey, sons in the Lord. Obey the word of the Lord. For he who is coming in is a mighty king. He's the Lord strong. He's the Lord mighty in battle. Father, we lift up our hands to you. We, we are so thankful for your word, which we choose to believe even now, Father. I choose to believe you're speaking. Lift up the culture of these gates. Lift up the culture of family. The culture of obedience. We lift up our heads. For we discern an entrance of a king. Come in, come in, come in, Father. Come into our finances. Come into our relationships. Come into our marriages. Come into our workplaces. Come into our businesses. Come in, come in. Enter. Come into cities. Come into circumstances. Come into situations. Unless you come in and and do active warfare on our behalf. Some issues, Father, we might contend seem so much more than we can bear. Come in and resolve the matter. Come in and do battle. Come in and, 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 and vanquish your foes. Come in. Come in and remove 
the impediment. Come in and remove the obstacle. Come in and remove the impossibility. Make that which seems impossible. Make it possible. Let the king of glory come in. Strong, mighty in battle. We say that we are strong. We say that we are not weak. We say it. It's our declaration. It's our utterance. It's our conviction. I am not weak. Even though my circumstances dictate, Father, I am strong in you. I am strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of your might.